0: A little loud. Hope everybody's good this morning, other than cold. Um, it can get meat locker in here, meat locker-ish in here sometimes, so um, it's not my choice. But I feel really comfortable. Sorry about that. Uh, glad everybody's here. Good to see everybody. Good to see some some moms and, and uh, new faces, and uh, good to see faces that we don't see on the camera. It's not really faces. Anyway, sorry. I'm I'm still learning to figure out what this is back here, and I'm I'm still super socially awkward, and that's not going to change. So uh, this morning, we are in week two of a series we kicked off last week just called Conversations, and we're just looking at times in which people just had real conversations with Jesus and what we can learn from that, What, uh, how it's going to affect us, not just in our conversations, but how we approach Jesus and what that means to us Um, today really neat. Like, I I love this story that we're going to look at, because I think no matter what level um, that you are, that you're currently in, or where you are currently, like, there's something for everybody. I think this story is equally teachable to kids with, like, the flannel lithograph kind of a thing. That's the felt board that you can stick stuff on. Like, this story would work there. Um, This story would work uh, in a small group setting. This story would work in a a group setting in which we're going to look at the deep Greek meanings of all the words. It would work for all of those, Um, but I think it just... Man, it, it checks all the boxes. And so it's one of my favorite stories. It's in the book of Mark, um, chapter 10. We're going to turn there. Um, you can go ahead and turn there. It'll also be on the screen for us. Andrew, thanks for jumping in and, and running that this morning. Um, and having said that, we are still on super skeleton volunteer crew right now, just giving everything. And because of that, too, next week we're going to take a week off from, like, live worship services just to give people a break because it's, it's about the same five people every week. And so we're going to take a break. We'll have a, um, a video message that will be ready on Sunday morning. Um, and so look for that. Uh, but next week, just, just don't come here, uh, but be ready to tune in. And so we're going to look at this particular passage. Um, it's just it's one of those that just there's – there is dialogue, but if we, it, it is about this series of conversations. But in reality, if we were just looking at the conversations, there would be six lines of dialogue. Like if it was a play, if it was a, um, a screenplay being written, there would be more in the brackets than there would be in actually what's said. But what's said is super important. But also, what occurs in between what is said is. is incredibly valuable. And so I want us to look at it this morning and just um, think about a couple of things of just uh, what is it saying that maybe I need to think about differently or what do I need to do? But maybe even at the very end, I'll go ahead and tell you, um, it does challenge what we think, what we know, what we hold dear to when it comes to what does it mean to call on Jesus? Like, what does it really look like and what does it, what does it demand of us? Uh, I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going we're gonna to plop right in and read. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for loving us dearly, and we thank you for loving us uh, with such great sacrifice in mind. Fathers, we look at your word this morning. I pray that it speaks louder than we do. Um, God, I pray that it speaks louder than our circumstance. I pray that it speaks louder than our, our preconceptions, and I pray that we hear from you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true, that it's valuable, um, and God, we thank you that you're worthy this morning, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So when we're reading the Gospels, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even when we get into John, which, which is kind of a different category when it comes to the Gospels, um, a lot of times we have to understand that the way that the writers uh, presented the material, the way that they were inspired to present the material, they, they did it kind of in a different order, a different chronology. Some of them did it topically, some of them did it uh, event by event, um, and it was also based on the audience that they were speaking to. Matthew's a very Jewish gospel, so he was going to speak with very Jewish minded things, um, Mark or. John Mark, which we're going to be reading this morning, Um, he was... uh he was with Peter in the way that Peter thought was probably in terms of fireworks and explosions, um, even though there were no fireworks and explosions in the New Testament, but just these Michael Bay ideas. And so there's a most of the miracles are contained in the book of Mark. Uh, Luke, on the other hand, a physician, uh, he wrote like the most universal gospel that would apply to all people. Um, uh, but today, like, no matter the, the chronological outlaying of the synoptic gospels, like this is one of the last things that was written before Jesus went in to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jerusalem to fulfill, like, man, why he came, like the death march. Um, and so all of the gospel writers will agree on that, um, the synoptics. And so this is one of those last things, and it's just so interesting to me, maybe it is to you, that, that this was like, man, like that last thing before he goes in, rides on a borrowed donkey, uh, the hosanna to the highest, all of those things, it's just, it, it's neat to me, and it just adds so much value and so much flavor to this passage. So we're going to read Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52, and then we're just going to kind of talk about it for a little while. So it says, and they uh, came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, rabbi or teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So if we were reading just the words, just the conversations, it would pretty much go like this, without even looking at the occurrences, the setting, or anything else. It would be, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Kind of silence. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Call him from Jesus. Then Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, let me recover my sight, then go your way. Your faith has made you well. I do want us to think about the things that were said this morning in this particular passage, but I also want us to think about why they were said, who they were said to, what the attitude was, and what was the result, because I think that's the biggest thing that we can look at. And I'll admit that um, I get, like, I, lo- I love this passage so much, it's really easy to think about all the things that I want to say, but this morning I really want us to look at just three ideas. Uh, three ideas from this passage. And I'm not like a topical point person. Like I generally, my brain generally doesn't work like that. And so I've kind of had to dial this in to just, just a couple of these things. And so let me reread the first part. And then we'll, we'll talk about that first thing that I think we must see. It says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. So this is what we know. Luke was the first written gospel. Uh, Mark and Matthew probably borrowed some, of ma- some material from Luke as they were writing their gospels, being inspired to do that. In Luke, Luke doesn't name this guy, but in uh, Luke chapter 18, we see this exact same account. It's almost identical. It's pretty close as far as the gospels go to the writing, but the only thing that's left out is the name, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And so maybe by the time that Mark wrote the gospel, we know that uh, maybe people knew who he was. Maybe he had become something more than just a blind beggar, but we know at this point, at this place, at this time, that's all he was, blind beggar, sitting on the road, sitting beside a popular road um, for for the means of this. He was there to beg and to ask for money. That's it. That's why he was there. He was there to beg, ask for money. He was blind. Uh, What we can know that because he was a beggar, most likely, uh, if he was Jewish and he was a blind beggar, he probably had no family because the, the Jewish tradition would be if you have an infirm person in your house and in your family, you're going to take care of them. You're going to provide for them. There should be no reason that they should be on the road begging. But for whatever reason, this guy, if he was Jewish, and likely he was being here in this place in this time, uh, he probably had nobody. And not only did he have nobody, and I'm stretching body, but anyway, not only did he have nobody, he had nothing, nothing. He's on the road begging. He probably has a cloak, he probably has a cup, he may have a mat to make things more comfortable. He has nothing. But in reality, not only does he have nothing, uh, as a cultural standpoint or as a cultural stance based on who he was, what kind of person he was, not only did he have nothing, he pretty much was nothing. Like by by all cultural accounts, like he was like nothing. He was the person in the crowd that no one would listen to, no one would value. Most people probably as they walked by on their way to their nine to five probably didn't even notice him. He was that guy, that guy a nobody, a nobody. So he's sitting by the road, and he's begging this blind beggar, son of Timaeus, sitting there. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Now let me say what he didn't say. Let me say what he didn't say. He didn't say, help me. He didn't say, help me. Um, he didn't say um, I want to see. He didn't say, give me money. No, he said something incredibly, incredibly telling and specific. He said, Son of David, number one, a title. Number two, he asked for mercy. Now, I have to stress this. He had nobody, he had nothing. And he was a nobody, but yet in this crowd of people that had been following Jesus now, they had seen like the culmination of all the things that Jesus had done, all the miracles, all the teachings, all of these things. A lot of these people, they had seen from front map to back map. They had seen all of it. They had seen the bulk of it. But then in the midst of this, a blind beggar sitting by the road with nothing, with nobody, and nothing by society standards, he says, Son of David, and he asks for mercy. we'll, We'll get to that in just a second. Pretty crazy. I think the first thing that we need to see um, happens in this very next line, and it's probably in the New Testament. There are a couple lines in the New Testament that, you know, they're just two words, and I love them. One occurs in Ephesians chapter 2 and it's, it's but God. Like, that may not say a whole lot to you, but Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about the fact that we were sinners, we were alienated, we were, man, we were lost, and lost beyond being saved. Like, we were completely lost, and it says, but God, being rich in mercy. Like, I love those two words right there. But then, the other two that I love happen right here, because blind beggar sitting on the road, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, Jesus doesn't stop, he doesn't hear. Um, and the crowd even said this. The crowd was sitting there, and when they heard, uh, they, they rebuked him. They said, be quiet, like, be quiet, because what the people saw when they saw this blind beggar on the road, they saw him, that he didn't have anybody, he didn't have anything, and he was a nobody, they were like, Jesus doesn't want to hear from you because you are, you're nobody. They had seen Jesus do everything, they had heard his words, but somehow they had missed like all of these big points that Jesus came for these people right here, like he came for them, but they were like, shh, be quiet, shh, I mean... I don't, I don't know, the, rebuking, the rebukings of people are funny sometimes, but they're like, shush, be quiet. And so what did he do? He just got louder. He was like, no, son of David, hey, I'm over here, have mercy on me. And then here's these two words, Jesus stopped. Like there's an and in front of it, but I mean, just, just those two words, like Jesus stopped. Like here's, man, oof, it, it says Jesus stopped and said, call him. Here's, here's the first thing that we've got to see. Um, and go ahead, if you are, or we'll pop it up here in just a second, but Romans 10, we're going we're gonna to flip over there. The first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus will and does stop for anyone who calls on him. Jesus will and does stop for anyone who calls on him. I know that theologically salvation can be confusing if we, allow, um, if we allow our theological differences and preferences and suppositions to come into play, it can be just mind-boggling. Like, as a boy who grew up in a BOBC church, a big old Baptist church, and then going to Bible college and sitting in my, my very first theology class, even as an older student, um, I was just sitting there thinking, man, this can get really, really confusing. But here, here's what we need to know. In this Romans passage right here, go ahead and, and turn to that. It says in in verse 11... It says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have to understand, no matter where we land theologically, uh, even if you don't even know what I'm talking about, bless you, that's probably best. But no matter where we land, we have to understand that if we call on the name of the Lord in belief, He will stop, and he will save. And the beautiful thing about Bartimaeus is he was a nobody. He was a nobody with nothing, with no one. And when he called, using a messianic title, this is important, like son of David, of all the people that could see in the crowd, he probably saw far better than anyone else because this is not something that people were calling Jesus at this point. This was something that the the Messianic prophecies called Jesus back in the Old Testament to say that one day, woo, one day, Messiah is coming. He will be from the line of David. He will deliver the people. He will save us because no one else could, not even ourselves. The Son of David is coming. Somehow some way. I don't know. Maybe he had heard it from someone else. Because if we go a little bit further in Romans 10, it says that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. At some point, this blind beggar sitting by the road with nobody, nothing, and was no one, at some point realized that this guy was not just a teacher. This guy was not just a rabbi. This guy was not just a prophet. But this guy, this guy, the priests didn't even believe it. The Pharisees didn't even believe it. The scribes didn't want to believe it. But this guy, this Jesus that came from Nazareth, a Dunk Nowhere Town is the Messiah that we've been hearing about since we were kids. And he heard that he was walking by, and he just began to cry out. This nobody in a crowd of somebodies just said, Son of David. And then he asked, man, he asked for mercy. He didn't, he didn't ask for sight immediately. We'll get to that in just a second, but, but he asked for mercy. He said, uh, Son of David, um, the Messiah, basically, Give me not what I deserve. I know that's a strange way to phrase it, but give me not what I deserve. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me mercy. Have mercy on me. See, what he was doing there is he was already, man, the blind man, the nobody, already saw that in the presence of this Jesus, he deserved nothing. He deserved nothing. Not because he was nobody but because Jesus was God himself. And so he said, have mercy on me. In your presence, I see you as who you are, and therefore I see myself as who I am. And I'm asking, I'm not asking for riches. I'm not treating you like a genie. I'm just asking you to give me mercy. Give me mercy. Jesus will stop for anyone who calls on him in faith. Anyone who believes to call on him, Jesus will stop and I love this. So they rebuked him. They said, be quiet. And so what does he do? He just gets louder. He cries out all the more. And then Jesus stops and he says, call him. And then this same crowd, they call the blind man saying, take heart, get up. He's calling you. They're like, be of good cheer. Same crowd, super fickle. They, they, they blow my mind. And so it says he, he springs up and he runs, tosses off his cloak. We don't know if he ever goes back for it. Well, I don't want to give away the, the, the good parts. But he tosses it off and he runs. Here's the second thing looking at his words, looking at what he did, here's the second thing that we have to understand um, who we call on reveals what we believe. Who we call on reveals what we believe. And, and, and yes, it is the how that we call, but I think it's, it's who we're calling out to more than anything. Now, this guy, this, this blind Bartimaeus, that may have been, we don't know, he may have had money at one point, like we go and we look at the nameless woman um, who had spent everything she had to be healed and no longer had anything um, and went to Jesus as kind of a last resort. Maybe it was Bartimaeus. Maybe at one point he was a person of means and he had spent everything he had to recover his sight because it says recover his sight. So he had seen before, wasn't blind from birth, knew what he had lost, so maybe he went after that and couldn't find it. Maybe Jesus was his last shot. But maybe, maybe this guy was so indigent, maybe he was so such a nobody with nothing and nobody, maybe this was his only shot. But either way, he called on Jesus. And that revealed, man, that revealed what he believed. And not only did he call on him, he said, son of David, messianic title, you're the Messiah that's promised. And he didn't ask for riches, he didn't ask for fame, he didn't even ask for healing yet. He asked for mercy. Who we call on reveals what we believe. Whether we're at the bottom of the barrel, whether we're on the flat, straight road, or whether we're on the mountaintop, who we call on reveals what we believe. Whether we're in great need, whether we don't need a thing, or whether everything is perfect, who we call on reveals what we believe. Now, in this culture, in this time, in this place, we're asked to call on a bunch of things, in a bunch of places, in a bunch of ways. But here's the reality. There's only one son of David. There's only one Messiah. And there's only one worthy of our worship. And this blind beggar, a nobody, in the midst of a bunch of somebodies, he was one of the few that saw it at the point. Now, there were other disciples in the crowd. There were the, there were the 12, or the 11 at this point. Uh, 12, yeah, 11 to come in a couple days. But there were those guys, and there were some others that had been devout, and they were following. But at this point, this guy, he was the one yelling the loudest. And he was the one asking for mercy, who we call on reveals what we believe. And, I, and, and maybe, maybe, I think a lot of people would even say, well, it's really easy to call on Jesus when you need something. It is. Because I think we call on a lot of things. We'd call that foxhole Christianity. Like, when you're in the foxhole, they say there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Because when, when the shells are flying, when the bombs are going off, everybody's crying out to God. So maybe, maybe in that point, uh, yeah, everybody cries out to God. But what about the times when, when you're not a beggar by the road? What about the times in which things are, you know, things are okay? You know, for a lot of people in corona, like, that's what it's been like. It's either been, you know what, I'm going on status quo. I've got work every day. We've got food. It's even been better for our family. Like, my family, that's kind of what we can say. We've had more family time. Um, we haven't missed a meal. You know, things for us, they've been, they've been good. You know, they haven't been amazing just because things are crazy, and I miss people like crazy, but, but they haven't been rock bottom either. But maybe like in the, the middle of the road kind of a thing, just, just straight and level. Do we go to God then? What about when things are amazing? What about, man, you got the promotion, you got the raise, the new house, the white picket fence, the one-and-a-half Labradors, the two-and-a-half kids. What about that? Because that's the American dream, half children and half dogs. I mean, because that is. You add them up, you get a whole something. But either way, what about those times, like mountaintop times? Do we call out then? Because regardless of our place, regardless of our status, regardless of our circumstance, who we call on reveals what we believe. Whether it's calling out in need or whether it's calling out in praise, who we call on reveals exactly what we believe. Because I think it's really, really easy in the foxhole to cry out, God, save me. But then when we get out of the foxhole and the sun is shining and the rain has stopped and your boots no longer smell like death, you're like, and that's a a war thing. But when just all of that, you just forget to say, God, you're still good. Thank you for getting me out of the foxhole, onto dry ground, where the sun is shining and nobody's trying to kill me. Who we call on reveals what we believe, in good, in bad, in mundane. And I, I think probably for us, like this is a, a practical application thing, we have to learn to call on God daily before the foxholes hit. Like, we have to learn to figure out how to call on God repeatedly, daily, uh, when things are just, just good, so that when the, the, when the peaks hit, we'll remember that God is this good, and we're used to calling on Him even when things are just okay. And, and when the valleys hit, when it's rock bottom, when it's at its worst, we'll remember. Call on God then, and not just call on God to save me, but call on God for mercy, because that's the most beautiful thing. This guy was at rock bottom, and... And he wasn't asking God to get him out of rock bottom. He was just saying, have mercy on me. I see how good you are. And by comparison, I see how bad I am and I see what I deserve. Just don't give me what I deserve. Who we call on reveals exactly what we believe. Good, bad, otherwise. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. And he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, here's part of that verbal exchange. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, you've asked for mercy. You've, you've called me kind of by name that shows that you believe. Now, now come to me and what do, what do you want? What can I do for you? Pretty simple. He said, and the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. I just want to see again again and I think another thing in here um, we understand that Jesus will stop for any who call on him and believe in him man we understand that who we call on reveals what we believe uh, but here's the other thing when Jesus calls back we run like we go like, we don't dally. Like, I think a lot of times we pray and pray and pray for stuff, and God does it, and we're like, oh, is that, is that you, God? Let me finish this, and then I'll come. No, 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 no. He said, call him. Tell him to come to me. And as soon as he heard it, like, he jumps up. He throws off his cloak, probably, probably one of his only worldly possessions. And we never see that he goes back for it, by the way. And you're like, well, he doesn't need it. Well, still, it was his. We go back for a lot of things that we don't need that are mine. But anyway, we don't see that he goes back for it. But he springs up, jumps up, I mean, leaps and runs. And he gets there. And and Jesus is just like, hey, what can I do for you? What do you want? And he just says, I just want to recover my sight. I just want to see again. And then this beautiful exchange uh, Jesus doesn't ask for explanation. Jesus doesn't ask for his lineage. Jesus doesn't ask for anything else. And Jesus doesn't even give him a commandment. Like I think so often, like for non-believers, if you're listening, there, there are really no strings attached to Jesus. Jesus is not saying, hey, um, I, I need to see all of these things in place before you come to me. You'd never believe how many people we talk to and just, you know, like my means of evangelism is not inviting someone to church. But after I've, I've been with someone for a while, I will. I'll ask them, hey, why don't you come and worship with us for a while? And there's, a, there's this overwhelming response, well, I need to get some things straight before I go to church. Like, if church was a place anyway, it's not. It's a people called by God, inhabited by the Holy Spirit. But anyway, there's this perception that I've got to get some things straight before I go there. Man, Jesus is not asking for that. He's just saying, what do, I need? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He says, I just, I just want to see. I just want to see. And then Jesus says this. Jesus says to him, oh, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's it. That's it. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Because you believed, you're well. You're well. The next two words, Mark uses them repeatedly. uh, Or at least he didn't use these exact words, but they're translated into English. and, And immediately. Which means right then. Bam. Right then. It says, and immediately he recovered his sight. Boom. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here's the third thing, the fourth thing that we have to see. Mm, Just This is good. I mean, it's good. It's not mine. It's good. The same faith that saves us is the same faith that calls us to follow. The same faith that saves us is the same faith that calls us to follow. I I had the word demands to follow written there, and I crossed it out and said calls to, but I really... Deep down, I really just want to say the same fate that saves us is the same fate that demands that we follow. Because look at what happened right here, too. It says, and Jesus said to him, go your way. This is possessive, like I'm not going to flip out of my rocker here, but go your way, like your way. His way, like go the way that you want to go, the way that you own, the road that you want to take, the road with your name on it, go that way, your way, and immediately uh, your faith has made you well. Immediately he recovered his sight. And then what did it say? He followed him on the way. Like his way and Jesus' way, they became the same. The same fate that saves us is the same fate that beckons that we follow. The problem is we want to be saved to sit, but Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say that I'm going to save you to sit. He said I'm going to save you so that you can see, so that you may follow me. We want the gospel to be all about just being relocated from a chair that's going to hell to a chair that's going to heaven. But he says, I'm not doing that. I'm relocating you from a chair that's going to hell to a road that's following me that ultimately leads to salvation and eternity with me. But it starts with you believing that I can fix what is broken in you and no one else can. And then after I call you, not only can you see, but you can follow. And he never demands it, but it is so implied by grace. Because it's such a big gift. I've given you sight so that you can see and so that you can follow. The same faith that saves demands that we follow. We look at the disciples. We look, like we talk about this a lot. It's even the way we define a disciple within this family. Um, Come, follow me. Someone that's a disciple is A, someone who's following Jesus. I will make you someone being changed by Jesus uh, into fisher of men. Someone who's on mission with Jesus. Man, he didn't call the disciples so that they could change their seat. No, he called them so that they could change the road. So that their way became the same as his way. Go your way. And immediately he followed him on the way. Same thing with the disciples. Same thing. Like if we go to Luke 18, 43, I don't have it up there. Um, but I'll tell you, I don't, yeah, I do. I do have it up there. Luke 18, very similar, but it adds to it just a little bit, just uh, Luke's account. I love this because here's the other thing about following Jesus. Like, we also have this egocentric idea of what salvation is that it's all about me, it's all about me. Jesus saved me for me, He saved me for His glory. But here's the thing look at this. It says, And immediately He recovered His sight and followed Him, glorifying God, almost saying, But then it says this, And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Here's the other thing about following Jesus it's not about you, it's not about me. It says, and all the people, all the people, you know what that all means in Greek? I say it all the time. It it means all the people, like all of them, every one of them, all y'all. It says, and all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. Very often, man, when we choose to follow based on the fact that we have believed in Jesus and only Jesus, guess what? People will see God through that. Man, we're called to follow not just for me, not just for you, but for everyone so that they may see. So that they may also have a chance to say, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do from you? I just want to see so that I can believe and follow. So that others may see, believe, and follow. So that others may see, believe, and follow. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Glorifying God and all the people when they saw it. Man gave praise to God. I love that Jesus stops for like the least, like the absolute lowest in the crowd, because that gives me great hope, because I don't, you know, I don't, I've got enough pride to think that I'm not the worst, but I'm not the best, and I remember that Jesus stopped for me, And, and so just, man, it's amazing to think that anyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord in that belief will and can be saved. That needs to be heard, that needs to be told, that needs to be shared. That's not something that we keep inside walls or just on a YouTube video or on a Facebook video. That needs to permeate our conversation. That needs to be so real in our hearts that it gets out that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Regardless of your theological predilections, I don't care. All. And man, for us as believers, like it needs to convict us and it needs to push us to remember that who we call on in all times, in all places, regardless of season or circumstance, that reveals exactly what we believe and who we believe in. Are we believing in our job? Are we believing in our wealth? Are we believing in the comfort of our 401k? That's a 401k for short. Are we believing in those things? Or are we believing in Jesus? Who we call on reveals what we believe and, Ben, I think this is the takeaway, the biggest one. Yes, when he calls, we run, but we have to remember that man he did not call us to sit. Jesus did not redeem us to change our seat. No, he redeemed us to change our road. He redeemed us to change our path, and our path is his path now. And it's implicit, and it's 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 necessary. Like it's an incomplete gospel for us to say that Jesus came to save us. I know that's, that's true, but I, th- I think it's incomplete in the sense that Jesus came to save us and he also came to change us and change the very course of our life and how he, he becomes our course. His way becomes my way. Your faith has saved you. Go your way. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. But my favorite part about that is Jesus didn't tell him to follow. He just did it. He just did it. Who are we calling on and who are we following? Man, I think, um, I know most of the people sitting in this room, so I I, kind of know where you are, but I I don't know people that are watching the video, and I don't know when you're watching it or where you're watching it. Um, But if you have never called on Jesus in belief for salvation, I would tell you there's no better time. No better time. I don't care where you are. If you're on the couch, if you're on the beach, if you're in the car, I don't care. It's in belief that He can fix what you can't, that no one else can fix. Jesus and only Jesus is the source of our mercy and grace. Only Jesus. And if you need to call on Him today, it's as simple as choosing to see your sin, seeing Him as great uh, in contrast and choosing Him over your sin. And believing that He and only He can save you. And then after that, um, it's just understanding that this life is called not just to change our seat, but to change our path. If that's you today, man, I would love to hear about it. Not so that we can put it on a piece of paper, but so that we can talk to you about what's next. What do you do next? Because believe it or not, uh, your life will not be the same. It will not look the same. It will not smell the same. It will not be the same. And, and we would love to help you figure out what that looks like uh, today. Uh, and I prayed for you just unnamed people beforehand. Because um, people need to hear Jesus will stop For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord in belief, anyone, anybody, money or not, status or not, beggar or not, it does not matter. And maybe we need to hear that and maybe we need to say it a lot. Um, Thank you for time. Let me pray and we're going to worship a little bit more. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for a blind beggar who is nobody with nothing and nobody to have, to know, to love. God, I thank you that you'll stop for anybody that calls on your name. God, I thank you that you are big enough to save in the midst of our sin. I thank, that, I thank you that you are bold enough to chase us down. God, I thank you that you are worthy enough for our worship. God, today I pray for, I pray for us as believers that are a part of the church. God, I pray that we would see that we were, uh, that we were called to be saved, but we were called to follow simultaneously, not two separate events. And God, I pray that we would figure that out and learn what that means to do that. If, if we need to uh, seek more mature believers to teach us how to do that, call discipleship, I pray that you would move us to do it. If we need to seek out younger believers who are trying to figure out how to do that, I pray you would move in us to do that. God, for those, God, that do not know you, that have never called on your name for salvation, they may have been in the foxhole and been crying out for something. God, I pray that they would cry out for you today. And I pray that you would hear them. And God, I pray that you would stop like Jesus does in this story, and they would be able to answer you when you ask them, what do they want? God, I pray for your kingdom to grow as a result of the gospel, not just of the gospel coming out of our mouth, but the gospel that's been echoing for generations. I pray you would continue to grow your kingdom in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for shepherding us. Thank you for allowing us to follow. It's in your son's name we pray.